When we look to human help for divine battles, that's when we run into problems. We need to trust in the Holy Spirit. What am I talking about? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, taking you through the Bible. And today we continue. We're in the book of Isaiah. This is going to be exciting. Now, Corey helps us, and she's with Ryan. Corey? I'm going to be focusing on Isaiah chapter 7 and specifically the situation that King Ahaz found himself in. Ryan? Well, you know, Isaiah 7 to 12 is sometimes referred to as the book of Emmanuel because the name Emmanuel appears three times in the Hebrew. The thing is, though, is that it isn't translated as Emmanuel all three times, which obscures something important, which we'll look at in about 20 minutes. All right, all of that coming up. And Janice, what did you do? Uh, my segment today is called The Words of Our Mouth. All right, so get your Bible out and your Bible guide. Let's focus on what God is speaking to us today about. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 10. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Isaiah chapter 6, 7, and 8. These are the passages we have assigned. For today's reading, they are interesting. You know, we seem to hear about near-death experiences more frequently today, don't we? It's true. But I remember in the late 1980s and 90s, I worked on a daily live television program where, on a few occasions, we would have guests come through who would share their experience of encounter. 
One thing I could never fully understand was the peace that came to those who had near-death experiences and knew Jesus Christ. It's like pulling back the curtains of reality just for a moment. And the Bible tells us that in the wake of King Uzziah's death, Isaiah, called to be a prophet, was seeing heaven. He is given a stunning vision of God on a throne, high and lifted up. In his vision, Isaiah sees angels called seraphim. His description of these beings and their actions are remarkable. Let me tell you, one of the seraphim took a live coal from the altar, brought it down and touched the mouth of Isaiah, declaring to Isaiah that his sins had been atoned for. Now, this enabled Isaiah's prophetic words from this point forward to be a light and to be power to those who would listen. We would do well to listen to the book of Isaiah today. Take your passage or take your Bible guide if you have one and turn to today's passage. Now, if you don't have a Bible guide, you know my question, why not? You should, in fact, write or call for your Bible guide or go to Bible Discovery TV, BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the Bible guide and get one as we take you through the Bible. Today, we're going to focus on Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, isolating a passage of this scripture to teach on and to begin to ask the Lord to show us. So let's do that right now. Father, show us your word. Teach us your path. Holy Spirit, speak to us in our hearts. I guess, Lord, we really want to know what you're telling us today because the world is in such a mess. And I pray, Father, that people who truly love you and have given their life to you would learn from the prophet Isaiah, who also would teach in this special way. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen. Now, as we look at this passage, consider Isaiah chapter 1, verse 6. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe, the, the, the portion of that follows him of his robe, filled the temple. Very interesting. Verse 2 says, Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With the two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Very interesting. Beloved, we come to the first point. God is holy. God is holy. We are not. God is holy. We are not holy. It is God who makes us holy as we surrender our lives to him. The Lord is holy. There, he doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need us. He doesn't doesn't need anything to complete him. He is already complete. However, he desires that we praise his name and that we become a part of him because he loves us. And that's very interesting, isn't it? Fascinating. Fascinating. Isaiah 6 verses 4 says, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. I mean, this was something else. 
and the house was filled with smoke. What a transition, what a change. He moves, God's voice moves the earth. So I said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Beloved, we are deeply changed when we recognize the holiness of God. When we recognize the holiness of God. Followers of Christ willingly give their lives to change through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain something. Nobody changes unless the Holy Spirit is coming, because the Holy Spirit is not from our minds. It's not from this place. It's not in our dimensions. It is, but it comes from God who is in other dimensions, all of them, in fact. And the Holy Spirit comes to us and changes us, beloved. We need to understand that. You see, a lot of people do not recognize the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is so strong that when he speaks through his word, suddenly things change and things move our lives. So I want to tell you something. You don't change until you meet the Lord Jesus Christ and you're born again. You're, you're born in the spirit. When you're born in the spirit, as Jesus Christ said to Nicodemus, then the Holy Spirit comes and transforms our life. Things change in us. Very interesting. All right, let's go on to the next scripture because this gets really, really fascinating. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. This is movement in heaven. This is amazing. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Also, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and be healed. What an amazing statement, beloved. See, we are all called to speak our testimony about God. That's Matthew 28. But when we come to God, there is such a dramatic change that begins in us. And we should be ready and willing, ready and willing to tell others about how Jesus Christ has changed us. I want to tell you something, and I want to be very clear about this. Jesus Christ has changed me. I am not the man I was because of the Holy Spirit. I am not the man I could have grown to be because God interrupted me and corrected my course. I'm not perfect and my course is still being corrected, but keep in mind that if there is anything good in me, anything good in this program, anything good, it is because of Jesus Christ. It's because the Lord has changed our futures. And that's what God does. He changes us 
and helps us to walk towards Him. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Now, in chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Isaiah, Isaiah gives us specific dates that we're working with. You know, in Isaiah chapter 6, he talks about how in the year that King Uzziah died, and then he goes on to reveal this vision that he got from God, uh, which ends up being his commissioning uh, into this role of official prophet of God. And now here in Isaiah chapter 7, he dates it to when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but could not overpower it. So it's this specific uh, time in history when Ahaz is, is facing a coalition army uh, trying to take him down, trying to take over Jerusalem, Judah, and the kingship. So let's take a look first at King Ahaz himself and what he was going through, and then we'll talk about it a little bit afterwards. Ahaz, king of Judah, is not given a very good moral rating in the Bible. He is said to have broken away from his father and grandfathers in their efforts to follow God, and in his desperation followed after false gods. Ahaz became king after the death of his father when he was 20 years old and reigned until his death 16 years later. Ahaz had inherited a kingdom in trouble. The northern nations of Israel and Syria had joined in alliance against Judah. It appears they were trying to build a coalition strong enough to resist the growing Assyrian Empire. Judah would provide more military strength and more land for their use. King Ahaz responded by dedicating himself to pagan gods of warfare. He sacrificed some of his children and became a regular of the unsanctioned high places in Judah. He is even said to have created an industry out of pagan worship, manufacturing molded images of Baal. This was to no avail, however. The Israel-Syria alliance besieged Jerusalem, and though they did not defeat the city, there were mass amounts of casualties, including one of Ahaz's sons, possibly the crowned prince, and two of the highest officials of Jerusalem. This attack severely weakened Jerusalem and Judah, and her enemies responded. Edom attacked from the south, and the Philistines from the east. Isaiah 7 records how God reached out to Ahaz at this time, but without success. Ahaz instead sent messengers and treasure from the Jerusalem temple to the king of Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser III. Tiglath-Pileser responded by destroying Syria's capital city of Damascus and killing her king. Ahaz then, in his established fashion, visited the king with more tribute and had the Jerusalem temple remodeled to resemble pagan shrines. At the end of his reign, Ahaz still had his kingship, but Judah was severely weakened and was paying a staggering amount of tribute to Assyria. This tribute and Ahaz's name has been found recorded in Assyria's surviving records. Two signet seal impressions have also been identified that mention Ahaz, one belonging to a royal official and one from his very own seal. 
So what we're seeing being reflected here in the book of Isaiah is this historical situation where we've got the rise of the Neo-Babylonian Empire that is strongly coming against, uh, you know, the, the Near Eastern world. They're taking over territories. And we're seeing northern Israel and Aram or Syria trying to get ready for this invasion, trying to get ready to be able to uh, have a fighting chance against Assyria. And so what looks what it looks like is happening is they're banding together and they're trying to add to their territory, add to their military, add to their chariot tree force, uh, Judah and Jerusalem. And in order to do that, Ahaz, who has uh, not been an ally with them, they need to take Ahaz out, uh, which doesn't end up happening. They're not successful, but that's the political situation that is the backbone for this really interesting prophecy of Isaiah that gives us this sign of the Emmanuel. That is really interesting to listen to all these pieces during this time. And your pieces are great. And so are yours, Ryan. And I'm looking forward to what you have to offer. Go for it. All right. Well, it's exciting to finally be into the prophets of the Bible. And it's fitting that Isaiah is the first of these books because a lot of scholars consider it to be the highest form of Hebrew writing. Now, I call this episode today, O Emmanuel, because as I mentioned off the top of the program, three times in Isaiah chapter 7 to 12, this name shows up. And it means, of course, God with us. The problem is, though, that there's something in chapter 8 that gets lost in our English translations. Let's take a look. Isaiah chapters 7 through 12 are often considered a single unit and constitute what's called the Book of Emmanuel, because the name Emmanuel appears three times in the Hebrew, once in Isaiah 7.14, again in Isaiah 8.8, and a third time in Isaiah 8.10. In Isaiah 7, two enemy kings threatened the life of the Judean king Ahaz. And even though the eminent threat was against Ahaz in particular, as a son of David, it was ultimately against the Davidic dynasty. We know from scripture that God had already promised David that his dynasty would be everlasting and produce the Messiah. So the victory was already secured. And not just for Ahaz, but the whole house of David was to be preserved until the virgin conceives and bears a son, namely Emmanuel. In other words, until Messiah was born, any threat against the house of David was doomed to failure. Interestingly, God reaffirms this promise in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. But unfortunately, the real impact is lost in English translations because of the failure to use the proper name Emmanuel. It reads, He will pass through Judah. He will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you from far countries. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Note in verse 10 how the Hebrew word Emmanuel is translated as God with us. This is its meaning, of course, but it's quite wrong to translate it as such in verse 10. It's the same word as in Isaiah 7.14 and 8.8 and should be translated the same way here, Emmanuel. So a more literal translation would be, take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, because of Emmanuel. In other words, God says, attack if you wish, but you will not succeed, because of Emmanuel. That is, God promises to preserve both the security and identity of the Davidic dynasty until Messiah is born. 
You know, when I discovered this for myself, a light really came on because, you know, reading through the history of the Judean kings in the Bible really makes you wonder why God allowed such evil kings to continue. But when you understand the Davidic covenant, which is reinforced in this Isaiah passage, you realize the big picture. God promised David an eternal dynasty. So until the Messiah came, his heritage had to be preserved. Of course, the Messiah, Jesus, did come, and believe me, he's coming again to sit on that throne, the throne of David. It's time to get with his program because his coming is sure, and that window of grace could close at any moment. In fact, uh, the, the messianic rule, if you want to talk about end times, which I'm sure we don't want to talk about, but the messianic rule is a fulfillment of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that I believe, and that's what I think and believe as I read the end of time in my eschatology. But anyway, that's fascinating, Lynn. Very good, thank you. Janice? Well, Isaiah chapter six is certainly an interesting one, and I love this particular chapter, and I usually get caught up in the imagery of the vision that Isaiah is given and not only of God and talking about this robe filling the temple, but also of the seraphim and their uh, symbolism. But this time, as I read through this chapter, what really struck me and the reason why I called my segment the words of my mouth or the words of our mouth was I took a look at how important the dialogue was here between the seraphim, what the seraphim were saying, how Isaiah responded, and how the Lord spoke as well. And it really made me think that what we say and how we say it makes a difference. We, we see here um, in verse 3, talking about the seraphim, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they're making this declaration. And in fact, we know that it's so loud and so powerful that it says, and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. This reminded me of how our words and what we say, so what we say and how we say it can literally change the atmosphere in the room. It can cause certain responses. We know um, that a gentle answer turns away wrath, um, and harsh words stir up anger. We learn that in the Proverbs. But even more so here, we see the dynamics of what's being expressed and how it literally affects the atmosphere where these seraphim and where Isaiah is. And so much so that now Isaiah responds back, woe is me for I'm undone. And he mentions because I'm a man of unclean lips. And, and then he compares the people around him. I'm from a people of unclean lips. And so he's recognizing even uh, what is coming out of his mouth. And the seraphim, you, we've already read it before. You know that the seraphim flies over. He takes a live coal from the altar and he touches his mouth. And he says, now the words that you speak are going to be pure you are purged from your sins. And then you hear the voice of the Lord crying out here, giving, uh, you know, asking in verse eight, and I also heard the voice of the Lord, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And right away, Isaiah says, here am I, send me. What an amazing response, Rod, when you think about it. It took me back to the moment where God had the burning bush and the encounter with Moses. 
And when Moses, and nothing against Moses, because I think looking at my own personality, I'm probably more like the Moses side saying, oh, oh, well, I, I can't speak. I, and even Aaron, well, I can't speak. I can't do this. And yet God said, I will, who made your mouth, first, first of all? And if you go back to Exodus 4, you can read that passage where God actually says, I will be with your mouth. I will help your mouth. I will give you the things to say. So I just thought what we say as believers in Jesus Christ and how we say it makes a difference. And you know what? I'm speaking to myself as well. There's a lot of times when my mouth gets going and it needs to be stopped or I'm not projecting the right attitudes and the right thoughts that I need to be that I need to be projecting. I have some reminders for us from scripture about our mouth and the words that we say. One of the ones that is my favorite, Psalm 19, verse 14, David said to the Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Psalm 40, verse three, God has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. There's that atmospheric change. When we um, let the words of life pour out of our heart and out of our mouth, when we have the right reactions with God's help around us, it changes the atmosphere and even is a testimony unto the Lord that will draw the curiosity of some as to why we can respond the way we can in times of fear or in times of trouble. We can be that true ambassador. Uh, another uh, Psalm of David, Psalm 141, verse 3, I use this one a lot. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And um, Ephesians 4, verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Good reminders for all of us today. What we say and how we say it matters. Our words matter. the end of the program, we're going to pray. And I want to tell you, I want to encourage you to come to us on at 3.30, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, where we have a prayer meeting for you. We're live at Bible Discovery TV, Facebook, and YouTube, and we will pray for you. It is really good. Today, we need to pray on the television program. Lord, I want to live my life well as a testimony of how you changed me and how you continue to change my life. Help me to do that today. 